Welcome back to this week's episode of The Emily Show. Thank you for your patience as this episode just got a little bit delayed due to some technical difficulties, but we are back up and running. We had to re-record, so we're adding in some bonus content. So hopefully it is worth the wait. I am normally really on time, which shocks me, truthfully, when it comes to the podcast. The fact that this show has been running for over 145 episodes on time every week is just the thing that makes me most thrilled in life. It's like, we did it. We have a weekly show. And this week I am talking about closing arguments, but because so much has happened, we're also going to talk about the media tour after the verdict just a little bit. So if you are down to talk my thoughts on closing arguments and kind of what happened, and then a little bit on these attorneys going on the morning shows and all over the place, That's what you're in for this episode. We have a lot to talk about, so we should just get into it. Hey there. Welcome to The Emily Show. I'm your host, Emily D. Baker, badass lawyer and everyone's favorite legal commentator, breaking down the legal shit in the news and pop culture stories you want to talk about. I've been a licensed attorney for over 15 years. I'm a former prosecutor, and I'm a big fan of the cursey words. So let's break it down. You know, Father's Day is just around the corner. And if you want to make sure that the man in your life is in full daddy mode, it's time to check out Manscaped. Lawnmower 4.0 in their Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. It's the perfect bundle to tackle any hair needs. And you need to make sure, you need to make sure not only to get the nose trimmer, but also get the trimming for the hair down there. So inside the performance package, you get the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer. If you don't know that you need it, you need it. Everyone needs it. It's fantastic. It's so good. The crop preserver deodorant for the dingleberries, the crop reviving toner, and the performance boxer briefs, along with a travel bag to hold all the goodies. The boxer briefs are great. Dr. B has really loved them, um, along with all the goodies that we use in our home too. Not only is it great for him, but it's also easy to use for you. So of course, what's a better present than the present that just keeps on giving? So if you're ready to check out Manscaped, you can do that with our code LAWNERD. That's right. You can go to manscaped.com and use code LAWNERD for 20% off plus free shipping. Yes. 20% off plus free shipping and get daddy together for Father's Day. We should get back to today's episode. Closing arguments are undoubtedly my favorite part of a trial. When I was doing trial work, which I did for over 10 years, I would look at what I wanted to be able to argue in closing, what moments I wanted to have in closing argument, what I needed to prove, what my jury instructions were, and made sure that as I was going through testimony, I got the questions asked that I needed to try to elicit the evidence that support, not just supported my case, but also went to those moments in closing argument. When someone would say something that is just so uh, poignant that you're like, this has to go in closing, just writing it down real quick and making a note because I didn't have live transcription like we saw in the Depp Heard trial. It was the amount of cooperation and tech they had in that courtroom 
was absolutely incredible to see. So with all of that, I made sure that I was kind of doing my trial with the closing in mind, because that's really when you get to argue. Opening statements are supposed to be statements, a roadmap, an outline of this is what the evidence is going to show. These are the witnesses we're going to present. This is where the pieces of the story will be connected for you. In closing, you get to argue. And that is really fun. You get to tell the jury, hey, this is what the law says. These are the facts. This is how you find for my client, or this is how you convict this person, or this is why you shouldn't convict this person. And that's where the argument comes in. So the ground rules of closing are a little bit different. That didn't stop us from seeing a lot of objections during the closing arguments in the Depp Heard case. There were more than usual. Now, I'm going to summarize what I thought of closing arguments and kind of the key moments of closing arguments. But if you want to watch my live reacts to all of the closings, it's over on YouTube. It's about four hours in total, broken across two videos, one for the closing arguments, one for the rebuttal arguments, because there were some moments, and we're going to talk about those. But closing is my favorite, so I was very excited to go into it. One of the biggest factors in this trial that would have made me want to cry was timing. This is a case that dealt with the clock more than any case I've ever seen. The judge gave each side 61 hours and 15 minutes to prove their elements, to bring on their witnesses, to cross-examine, to do rebuttal, to argue, but gave each side two hours separate and apart from that for closing arguments. So they knew exactly how much time they had going in each team gets two hours. And by the time we got to rebuttal, there was, again, a large time advantage to Team Depp. It seems that Team Depp was able to manage their time in a very much different way than Team Heard did. And while I don't love that when Camille Vasquez was closing, she was using notes, I understand in a really structured closing that has multimedia components that are being run by someone else that you need to really hit your cues. And when the time is constrained, you don't have time to go off script, which we saw from Team Heard, which is where I think they got into a bit of trouble with their timing. So like we saw in opening statements for Team Depp, we saw Ben Chu and Camille Vasquez arguing. And then for Team Heard, just like opening statements, we saw Ben Rottenborn and Elaine Bredehoff arguing. The timing and the way these two teams interacted was very different, and it was interesting to see. Both teams leaned into their strengths in closing argument, and we saw the first part of Depp's closing argument with Camille Vasquez very, very um, heavy with the facts of this case. We saw the closing with Ben Rottenborn going first, leaning very much into the law in this case. And going into this case, I have said and will continue to say the law was always on Amber Heard's side. This case was always an uphill battle for Johnny Depp. He prevailed, but it was not easy to do so. I didn't see the facts swaying to Johnny Depp's side until we got into really Amber Heard's case and started seeing her presentation of evidence. Because when you get one side going first, it's really easy to be like, oh, well, I can see how they prove their case. But knowing that you have to wait for the other side for me going, okay, but what are they going to show? Because the other side could bring in something and completely undo what you've already seen. That didn't happen in this case, but I was mindful of it. By the time Amber Heard was done testifying, I'm like, oh, Johnny Depp's team has the facts on their side. 
Amber Heard's team has the law on their side. And watching these two teams parse that and and walk that line is going to be very interesting for the rest of trial. And boy, was it. So when we got into Camille Vasquez's closing, she tied it right back to opening statements by saying, again, you know, Amber Heard was playing the role of a lifetime. And this is what we saw, not just in opening statements, but also during that week break, we saw it in a PR statement too, where, which I've addressed in other content around the interwebs, but we saw a PR statement saying, you know, Amber Heard's testimony again is giving, is giving the role of a lifetime vibes. That's not verbatim. If you want to see it verbatim, it's on my Twitter. That's not verbatim. And that's where the closing argument started is you've seen Ms. Hart giving the performance of a lifetime. Camille Vasquez talked at the beginning of her closing about Ms. Hurd never anticipating that her mountain of evidence would be examined and that she inflicted the greatest injury um, to Johnny Depp with her statements. And when we get into Ben Chu's closing, he calls them lies just straight out. And Camille Vasquez started to do that towards the end of her closing as well. They used the audio of Amber Heard. They used the tell the world Johnny audio. I was not hitting you. I was, you know, you're not punched. I was hitting you, that audio. They also used the audio of her kind of taunting and laughing at him in kind of a maniacal laugh and said after those audios had played, this is the real Amber Heard. What you hear on the audio is the truth. Again, leaning into what you saw in the courtroom was a performance. And it seems that the jury believed that based on their ruling. You then got into argument about the pledge versus donate. And I think this is one of the most important facts in this because you get after that Camille Vasquez saying, if she would lie about that, what wouldn't she lie about? And that's a really good point for a jury that has to weigh the credibility of a witness. Pledge versus donate. And it went on and on and on in cross-examination to the point where Amber Heard is like, I use them synonymously. And Camille Vasquez is like, I don't misheard. Answer the question. I fully intend to pay them. Do you? Because what we're hearing now from Elaine Bredehoff in her post-trial interviews is that she doesn't have the money to pay the judgment. So how is she going to make these donations? I fully intend to. Great. Great. I fully intend to sleep eight hours a night. Doesn't happen, though. Fully intend to. Fully intend to. So it's really interesting how much they leaned into the witness credibility because those facts were on their side. When Camille Vasquez brought up the acting coach, I was like, oh, she's going all the way there because she said the acting coach said, you remember what the acting coach said. The acting coach said that Ms. Heard has a bit of trouble crying acting wise. Interestingly enough, the acting coach also said that Johnny Depp's finger was injured with a bottle, or at least that's what she was told by Amber Heard, not a phone as Amber Heard testified to in court. She also talked about Amber Heard taking photos of everything. And showing the photos of Depp, you know, passed out or sleeping, Depp with ice cream, these photos and saying, but then where are the photos of the injuries? Where are the photos of the aftermath? There's a lot of photos of things. Things were documented. It's not as if she never took photos because she was afraid to. She took plenty of photos. They just weren't of her injuries. And if there are injuries as described in her testimony, then where are the medical records that support that level of um, abuse and assault that was testified to. Toward the end of closing, Camille Vasquez really leaned into 
you believe all of it or you believe none of it. And I wonder how persuasive that was for the jury, because when they came back with a verdict on all three counts, I was stunned that it was all three counts. But it seems that when the jury went, yeah, we either believe all of it or none of it, they went with none of it. And they were like, we just don't believe it. It's a very bold choice, but the facts were on their side. And if the jury was parsing, well, we think she lied about this, but she didn't lie about this. I don't think you get a verdict where they find Amber Heard liable for defamation on all three counts because you can parse some of the statements that they found defamatory to be literally true if you believe some of the things she said. And I just wonder how persuasive that was because it seemed that they said none of it. We believe absolutely none of it. And then we got into Ben Chu's closing, which leaned a bit more into the facts, into the jury instruction and into damages. But he also started reminding the jury that Amber Heard's lies did more damage to Johnny Depp than her fists ever did. He pointed out to the jury that there was an abuser in the courtroom, but that abuser is Amber Heard. And we knew that he was going to go that direction because that's what he argued to the court when he was arguing against Heard's motion to strike at the end of Depp's case in chief. We also saw him calling Amber Heard a liar and saying she lied to you. Looking at the jury, she lied to you. And that raised a quick objection from Ben Rottenborn. The power play here was that they go up to the bench, they talk to the judge, they come, you know, make the objection, make the argument, come back. And Ben Chu goes, as I was saying, she lied to you. And you're like, ooh. Oh, Ben Chu, you won that objection and you lean right back into it, saying to the jury, essentially, he's wrong. He just wants me to stop talking. And what I'm not going to do is stop talking. I love seeing those little power play moments in court, because when you get to have them yourself, you're just like, I'm sorry, you objected to me. Great. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, as I was saying, liar, liar, pants on fire. I'm paraphrasing. It's not exactly what he said in court. Ben Chu then leaned into the fact that looking for damages, what they're really looking for is Johnny Depp to be released from the prison he's been living in. And that, those were his words, you know, release him from the prison that this has kept him in. These lies have done untold damage to him and have have kept him prisoner. We got both sides or both attorneys, I shouldn't say both sides, both attorneys leaning into the fact that this closing argument was given six years to the day that Amber Heard went into court in Los Angeles and got the temporary restraining order. Those kinds of dates just don't line up. That is pure coincidence that the day of closing argument lined up to the day six years later, and they absolutely leaned into it to remind the jury this has been going on for six years that he's been living with this. And Ben Chu argued he's not looking for money. What he's looking for is his life and his name back. And the jury went, don't worry, we got you. Here's $15 million, but we'll talk. We talked about that last episode. When Ben Rottenborn got up to argue, the beginning of his argument is now subject to a motion about the argument being improper. And parts of it were, I think it could have been done similarly, but different to avoid that issue. But again, when you get to improper argument, the jury's already heard it. Ben Chu didn't object at the time, and he should have. And the shit's already out of the horse on that, and you can't do anything about it because it's done. The jury heard it. They've made their verdict. There's there's no recourse now. So he comes in, does not say good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, leans directly into it's never enough. What this, what 
you know, Johnny Depp's team is asking you to tell victims everywhere is that if you have photos, they're not enough or they're fake. If you tell someone, you're being paranoid. If you don't tell someone, you don't have any support. So he went into a whole line of it's never good enough. The bar is always higher and there's no way to ever prove um, domestic violence like Amber Heard is speaking out about and it's her right to speak out about it. He also leaned into she didn't write the headline and called Depp's team and their argument, essentially, saying that their argument was victim blaming and disgusting. Then went on to talk about the facts of a little bit of the facts, a lot of the law. She didn't write the headline, but even if she did write the headline, it's true. It's always hard when you're arguing against yourself. It's like, look, she didn't write it. Well, if she didn't write it, is it defamatory as to her writing it? Um, and that's where the republication comes in in this case. But if she didn't write it, lean into the argument she didn't write it. If you're not going to deal with the argument she didn't write it, lean into the fact that it's true and therefore it's not defamatory. But when you try to split both, I think it's a weaker position in argument for me because it's it's like, well, she didn't write it. But even if you think she wrote it, it doesn't matter because it's true. Well, then why do you care if she wrote it? If you If you are arguing it's true, why does it matter? Johnny Depp's team had argued that he has lifelong friends and relationships that came to court and stood up for him and told the truth. Ben Rottenborn turned right around in closing and said the reason that they're here is because they're on his payroll. But I also have to wonder what a stark contrast it was that Depp had so many people come into court live and in person, including Ben King coming in from the UK. And Amber Heard had essentially the experts that were being paid and her sister. So again, if you're saying everyone that's here testifying for you is paid, make sure that the only witnesses coming in for your side aren't also being paid. Ben Rottenborn wrapped up his closing argument with the facts here are overwhelming that Depp's team wants the jury to not believe the photos that they're seeing with their own eyes and that the message that they would send to victims everywhere is that they don't have a voice, that it's never enough. And he finished out with, don't send that message. That's what he wants you to do. Of course, during their closing, they also had a large multimedia component. They played the cabinet slamming videos and some of the other audio that we heard throughout this case. And he read a number of the text messages. Again, some of the most, um, well, Depp's team is calling them unfortunate. They are abhorrent text messages, but most of them, the, the most coarse text messages weren't sent to Amber Heard. And I don't know how the jury felt about that. These are the things that were said between him and his friends. And Rottenborn kept saying, you know, Depp is sending this to his drug buddy, Bettany. They leaned in so heavily to his drug and alcohol use. But I think Depp's team did a good job of taking the sting out of that. Johnny Depp said, yes, I have abused drugs. I have abused alcohol. And Depp in his testimony said, the only person I've ever abused is myself. I wonder how much that rang true with the jury as they're listening to Amber Heard's team again hammer on drug and alcohol use in their closing. Then we get into the closing of Elaine Bredehoft. And I don't know if Rottenborn ran over time of what she was allotted for or what, but her closing felt kind of frenetic and disjointed. But we saw that from her in opening too. I don't know if that's just her style of argument. It was hard for me to listen past the beginning because she was breaking down the law and misstated the malice element twice. She then started to imply that Adam Waldman, Depp's former attorney, 
who had made the statements that were being sued over had planted stories in witnesses' minds in some way. And there was a swift objection and they ended up up at the bench for quite a good bit of time. And Elaine came back in front of the jury saying, well, you know, I'm not saying that he was, um, he was asking anyone to testify falsely and was trying to fix it. You should never be trying to fix shit that you've said during closing because what you've said is so improper that it cannot be said. It not only misstates the testimony, but it implies this level of nefariousness that there's just no evidence. There's no evidence in this case that Adam Waldman asked anyone to perjure themselves. In fact, there's evidence from the UK case that Amber Heard had asked people to perjure themselves with regard to her dogs being taken into Australia. And that didn't come in in this case as evidence. So you would think one would be very fucking careful about making those statements. There were two other times in quick succession that there were objections to improper and misstating argument by Elaine. And they ended up at the bench for quite a substantial amount of time, which you never want to see in closing argument. And it made it very hard to follow closing. I'm sure there were some good points in there, but between the objections and her misstating the malice element, it was just difficult for me to listen to what she was saying. And I wonder if the jury felt the same way because it felt like this rapid fire, disjointed um, hodgepodge of stuff. In talking about the counterclaim, Elaine went into, there's no um, motive for Amber Heard to create a hoax. And my note at the time was, why would you be arguing motive when it's not been brought up by Team Depp if you think you're winning? And I just wonder if when they went into closing arguments, looking at this jury, Team Heard knew that even though the law was on their side, the jury was no longer on their side because she was arguing motive in a way that I don't think you do if you believe that you are winning. And that was a very interesting thing to see. By the time they got to the end of their closing arguments, the judge had everybody up the bench. The jury went out for lunch and told them their time for rebuttal. And rebuttal works where generally the party that has the burden of proof gets to rebut what was said by the other side in closing. So it would be the side with the burden of proof, plaintiff or prosecutor, then the defense, and then the plaintiff or prosecution would have chance for a rebuttal. Because there were cross claims here or counterclaims here, you had rebuttals from both sides. So Depp got to do a rebuttal to the closing of Heard, and then Heard got to do a sur rebuttal to Depp on the counterclaim only. When the judge announced time, Team Depp had 39 minutes remaining. Team Heard had six minutes remaining. And Elaine said, but your honor, what about all that time at sidebar? Because she got yelled at like three times for misstating shit during her closing. And the judge said, I didn't take off time for the sidebars. And then we get into the rebuttals after lunch. For the rebuttal, it was just Camille Vasquez and Ben Rottenborn. Camille Vasquez leaned into, it's just a defamatory lie. Camille leaned into, and I don't remember if it was during rebuttal or closing where she leaned into this. It might've been both, where she said, this isn't Amber Heard's word versus Johnny Depp's word. This is Amber Heard's word versus, and then listed out every single witness and argued essentially to believe Amber Heard, you have to find all of these people 
are not telling you the truth. People like Alejandro Romero, who was just at work. People like the three LAPD officers that testified. And I think the jury took that to heart because when we saw them find for Amber Heard on the counterclaim, it was with regard to what the LAPD officers had testified to. And that makes sense that they were paying attention to those third party witnesses. So you got this really good list of it's not just Amber Heard's word versus Depp's word. And I think we will see people using that style to argue, especially when it's a more of a he said, she said type of a case. I say this happened. They say this happened. It You have to remind people, but it's not just, you know, he said, she said. It's not just this party saying this and this party saying this. It's this party saying this with all of this support. So to believe them, you believe none of it, none of it. And that is what Johnny Depp's team really leaned into against Amber Heard. You believe all of it or none of it. Amber Heard's team really tried to distance from that, saying if you believe even one instance of abuse, None of this is defamatory. And with them arguing that, I think it sends an even clearer message that the jury didn't believe them. They argued heavily, if you believe just one instance of abuse, then you cannot find defamation here. And the jury was like, okay, cool, but we're going to find all of this defamatory. When we got to Ben Rottenborn's closing, he had six minutes left. And I think he did a good job in the six minutes he had left, considering he got rattled. I can't believe I didn't bring this up earlier. Considering he got rattled during his closing, with an Amber alert. Yes, that's right. And I've got it timestamped on the YouTube video. If you want to go watch it, an Amber alert went off in court. So all the phones start making that noise. All the phones in the courtroom had been silenced, but they start making that noise. Though in the chat, we had hundreds of thousands of of viewers in the chat and those in Fairfax County were saying, oh, we're getting severe storm warnings. So it could have in fact been a severe storm warning. But what the judge said was, I think we're getting an Amber alert or we're just getting an Amber alert. I think we're fine and encouraging Ben Rottenborn to continue. But then there was like a second wave of them that went off. That was so wild. It was like, it felt like the first cell carrier round went out and then the second cell carrier round went out. So the chances that there would be an Amber alert during Amber Heard's closing argument was just a whole ass moment. It was so appropriate for this trial, for the moments that we had seen throughout this trial, for the, the clapbacks for the what if any's, for the cross examinations by cross boss Camille Vasquez, for the topper to be an Amber alert during Amber Heard's closing was just, it, it just felt poetic. I think Ben Rottenborn did a good job in the limited time that he had. But again, it was if you even believe one instance, then you need to find this isn't defamatory. And a reminder that you don't want to send this message that it's never enough. You can never have enough proof if you are a victim. And with that, the jury went back to deliberate after the final closing arguments. And that means it's our time to talk about the media blitz that has happened since. The day after the verdict came down, Elaine Bredehoft went on the morning show circuit to talk about this case. And boy, did she have a clear list of talking points. I did a reaction video breaking down her um, her sit down on the Today Show with Savannah Guthrie and my thoughts on that. Her talking points on Good Morning America were more of the same. I will say, I credit where credit is due. I think the interviewers on both Today and Good Morning America asked the important questions. They, of course, gave some opportunity. How is Amber Heard doing? What was her reaction after the verdict? But they also said, what do you say about the jury just not believing your client? And 
Elaine was dodging that question like she was Neo in the fucking Matrix. There was no answering that question. She would bridge to another topic about this being a setback for women or this being a tale of two trials or the judge keeping out evidence, mountains of evidence that should have come in or the jury being influenced by social media. But no, no discussion about did the jury just not believe your client and saying, you know what, it's a tragic thing to see that that someone can can tell their truth and and not be believed. None of that. There was none of it. It was a everyone else's fault, which seemed to be the theme of Amber Heard's case a little bit. It's everyone else. Everyone else is wrong. Everyone else is lying. Everyone else has done something. And Elaine kept those talking points up across the morning show circuit. This is a tale of two trials. The In the UK case, all this evidence came in in the UK case and we won. Well, the UK case is a different country, different court system, different standard, different parties, because it wasn't Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. So Johnny Depp's evidence was significantly limited as to Amber Heard's credibility because he was fighting the son, not Amber Heard. And the judge needed to find whether the son reasonably relied on Amber Heard's statements and that the statements Amber Heard gave to the son and made to the son were true enough that they could call Johnny Depp a wife beater in their headline. And they found that the information given by Amber Heard to the son is reliable enough for the son. Good enough. That's not the same as Amber Heard being a party and winning. So when Johnny Depp was allowed to go after Amber Heard's credibility in the U.S. trial because she was the opposing party, we saw a much different result. So this, it's a tale of two trials. And when our evidence all came in in the U.K., we won. Or when Johnny Depp wasn't allowed to present evidence about credibility, you won, but you didn't win because the son won. I didn't find it persuasive. I didn't like that Elaine was calling into question the propriety of the jury and trying to undermine the jury's decision. She could have said, I wonder how much the jury was influenced by everything going on outside of the courtroom. There were there were alpacas in front of the court. There were people lining up. There were Depp fans in the courtroom laughing when he made statements. She could have talked about inside the courtroom, but instead she's like, how could they be expected to avoid social media? Well, Elaine, you're saying that they are violating court orders or at least insinuating that they are violating court orders because they go home and they have families and people just can't follow the rules is essentially what she was arguing with absolutely no evidence of that. And if there was evidence of that, it would be a massive, massive issue. But it seems that the press talking points are this verdict sets women back. This verdict is a decades, decades setback for women and the way women are allowed to be treated and that the jury's wrong. The judge is wrong. The evidence was kept out and it's everybody else's fault. So days later, because this just happened on June 8th, that Depp's team granted interviews, you know, a week, a week ish after the verdict. Before the interviews even aired, though, with Ben Chu and Camille Vasquez on you know, June 8th, Amber Heard's spokesperson released a statement. And that statement says, quote, it is as unseemly as it is unprofessional that Johnny Depp's legal team has chosen to do a victory lap for setting back decades of how women can be treated in the courtroom. What's next? A movie deal? and merchandising, spokesperson for Amber Heard. The way I have questions about this statement. First of all, Amber Heard's legal team made statements first, calling into question the verdict, questioning the propriety of the judge, the jury, and the evidence. 
Second of all, this is not a victory lap when they are responding to what has already been put out in the media. Third, they are not there to celebrate. It seems from watching the interviews that they are responding to what Elaine Bredehoff put out there, which they are entitled to do. Finally, I would be down for some merchandising. I think Camille Vasquez should be like a, a action figure of like, you know, smart women, <laughs> smart female lawyers, cross boss Camille Vasquez, just make her an action figure. I'm fine with that. Let's have, let's have that as role models. But the thing that's so frustrating to me is that you've got Amber Heard's team saying that this is setting women back decades of how they can be treated in the courtroom. What I saw in the courtroom from watching all of this trial is that Amber Heard's team was given an inordinate amount of grace. They did things that other judges would have just absolutely ripped into them for. This judge was patient, was graceful, listened to them, put things over and t- to discuss later um, was when Elaine Bredehoff could not get a question out on redirect, the judge actually gave a suggestion from the bench to just help her refine her footing and move on. So if the judge went out of her way to assist anyone, for me, it would have been Amber Heard's team. This judge did not call Bredehoff up to the bench when she was objected to like nine times in a row when they were sustained. In her redirect, she got like seven or eight questions out in over 30 minutes. This judge was incredibly patient with Team Heard and gave a tremendous amount of grace. So I don't see how women were not treated well in this courtroom. And I think it's offensive to the judge that ran a very fair trial to say that this female judge, teams of female attorneys set back women in the courtroom. Because what I see happened with this case is that someone was able to reclaim their voice. Amber Heard's team doesn't agree that it should have been Johnny Depp. But we have two people alleging that the other abused them and that statements about it are defamatory. We heard Amber Heard in her own words say, tell a judge, tell a jury, who's going to believe you? I don't know about you, but those are things that I have seen victims say when they are afraid to come forward. Go ahead, tell them. No one's going to believe you. So I don't think this is a setback to show that someone who was told that they would not be believed can stand up and be believed. That doesn't set people back. I think it sets victims forward that even if people are telling you, you won't be believed, you can be, but the fight might be long and it might take years. And unfortunately in the U.S. system, it could take a lot of money. And that is one of the things that happened in this courtroom too, that can't be understated. This is millions and millions and millions of dollars in legal fees. And not everyone has the ability to clear their name in that way. But I hope that anyone who's ever been told no one's going to believe you looks at this case and goes, you know what? 
but they can, but they can. And I can be believed if I stand up because Johnny Depp was believed with all the odds against him. And to be true and factual and fair, the laws against him on defamation, but as a male victim of abuse, the facts and our society are against believing him too, myself included. It's hard to believe that someone would make up the things that the jury found that Amber Heard made up. It's uncomfortable. It's the same with the Jesse Smollett case. It's uncomfortable to believe someone would lie about that. But it happens, and it's rare. And I hope that that's the takeaway here, which is why this statement pissed me off so much, because it throws the judge under the bus, and it calls our system into question because they don't like the result. And that's not how that works. So Johnny Depp's team, I think, gave very professional interviews, focusing back on this case. And when they were asked about the statements made by Elaine Bredehoff, they graciously said, that's unfortunate. And that's disappointing. And the statements were disappointing. And they said, there's no reason to believe this jury was influenced by outside forces. They were admonished every night not to. And there's nothing proving that they did. There's nothing to show that they were influenced improperly outside of the courtroom by things on social media. When asked what role social media had on this case, Ben Chu said it had no role on this case. This case was tried inside the courtroom and it was one inside the four walls of the courtroom. I think they're very interesting. All of these interviews are just a few minutes long. They're all on YouTube. During our members only live stream, I'm going to be going through my responses to the interviews. I've already done a members only I Have Thoughts podcast for those on uh, Patreon at lawnardsunite.com with my video breakdown of Elaine Bredehoff's interview on today. So I will be doing more of that on our members only live stream. It is interesting. So if you want more Emily content after this trial is over, you're like, we have more Emily content. That's the place to be. You can join on YouTube or you can join at lawnardsunite.com. And with that, those are my thoughts. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for being a law nerd. Thank you for riding with me on this little bit late due to tech issues podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I will see you soon. So raise a glass and let's say it together. May your Wi-Fi be strong. May your family be well. May your gas not be $7 a gallon. May your toilet paper be plentiful. And may the odds be ever in your favor. Emily, you got that out of order. I know. It just happens sometimes. It just happens sometimes. And we're going to leave it. We're going to leave it. It's like finding the wonky M&M that is like way too big because it's four combined into one. This is just, this is the, this is the wonky one. We're just going to let it go. Thank you for being here. And I will see you in the next one. (laughs) 